I want to direct your attention this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and chapter uh, verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. Somebody's thankful for the gospel. You better be thankful for the gospel. You don't have a hope of a chance without the gospel. Without the gospel, you ain't got nothing. Without the gospel, you're going to hell. Now I don't say that with a smile. I just say that as a factual reality. Thank God for the gospel. Paul said, I give you the gospel. He said, I preach unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you presently are standing. Your relationship with the gospel is not just a past tense thing, but it has to be a right now thing. In other words, I didn't just depend upon the gospel. I am presently depending on the gospel. That means I continue to need Jesus even now. By which the Bible says you are also saved and comma, a conditional promise. The Bible says if the gospel will save you, if you keep in memory what Paul said, I preach unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received myself. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I'm so thankful for the death of Jesus Christ. He died in my place as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Bible says that's the gospel how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I want you to notice verse number four, two words that probably we normally pass right by it, but it says, and that. So in other words, it's not just his death. The gospel is not just his death. You need more than just the death of Jesus. The Bible says, and that he was buried. I need the burial of Jesus or things that happen in that tomb. Notice again, comma, and that. He says it again, a conjunctive two words, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Come on, somebody, it's Easter Sunday morning. And that he rose again, and that he rose again. He was buried, and that he died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again. There are three parts of that, and that he did this, and that he rose again. And that's what gives us an Easter Sunday morning resurrection promise that gives us a guarantee of salvation in our lives. The question I have for you, and this is probably a trick question, it's probably not fair, so I'm giving you forewarning. Is that the end? It's not the end because I want you to notice with me verse number five. The Bible says, and that. Do you catch it? He says it again, and that he, he died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, but it doesn't end there. And the Bible says, and that he was seen. I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. I'm going to try not to drum myself too much. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Friend, that's a game changer in the Bible. Do you realize that? And that he was seen. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, Paul said. Some are falling asleep. Nice New Testament terminology. Some have died and gone on to be with the Lord. But of those 500, there were still many that were alive presently that had saw the visible 
personal resurrected body of Jesus Christ. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Four times in four verses, the Bible tells us, and he was seen. This thing wasn't done in a corner somewhere, hidden away. This is not some fictional fairy tale about, you know, something that happened that nobody bore witness to. I'm thankful this morning the Bible tells us, and he was seen. And that's what I'd like to preach with the help of the Lord this morning. And he was seen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you'll help me preach this morning. Leading up to what was an incredibly terrible weekend, we affectionately referred to it as Good Friday. But can I tell you, it was anything but good for our lovely Lord. It was good for us, it was bad for him. Leading into the sham of a trial, a stacked court was against him. The lies that were positioned against him, and he was sentenced to death. They sentenced him and they commanded him to be scourged. We read that in the Gospels and we just pass right by that. A couple of words, he was beaten, he was scourged. Little of us, few of us can imagine the ramifications of that simple biblical statement and he was scourged and he was beaten. What that meant was a, a big, burly, strong Roman soldier had within his grip what they referred to as a cat of nine tails. And he held on to that and there were leather strips that within it were pieces of bone and shards of metal. And when that great big Roman soldier with all of his might bent in with that whip and laid it on the back of our lovely Lord, his, his back split wide open like ribbons. The blood began to flow and the instruction that the Roman soldier was given is that when you beat him uh, and, and he was so tactful in how he did it. He knew exactly how to do it because he was instructed to do so that when you beat the prisoner, you didn't beat that prisoner so that the prisoner would die, but you beat that prisoner just close enough to death that he didn't die so that he would suffer and then ultimately be crucified on a terrible old rugged tree. They beat him within an inch of his life. The blood is coming out of his back to add insult to injury, they take a purple robe and they put it upon him. They begin to mock him. They begin to laugh at him. They begin to spit upon him. The blood begins to ooze into that purple robe and they tear that robe back off of him, continuing to mock him. He leads the way to a place called Mount Golgotha or Calvary. And I want you to know this morning that the person they were crucifying that day was not just a good man. He was not just a teacher sent from heaven. He was not just a prophet, but that was none other than the God-man. They called him Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with uh, us. 
I'm so thankful today that Almighty God made the determinative choice not to stay in a comfortable place in heaven, but Almighty God loved us so much that he came from heaven to earth. And yes, there was a birth at Bethlehem, and there is a Christmas worth celebrating, and that that Almighty God came and was manifest in the flesh. We thank God for that. They took that beautiful body of the Lord God Almighty. They pounded spikes into it. They took a crown of thorns and put it upon his head until the blood dripped down his face. They nailed nails into his hands and into his feet and they put him on one of the cruelest forms of torture that was available in that day that was called uh, the cross. They nailed him to the cross. They lifted him and suspended him between heaven and earth. I want to remind you, all of you that are here this morning, that the most central event that has ever happened in the history of the world, it is the place that literally becomes the dividing point between death and life. This was not just the beginning of a religious tradition. It was a spiritual revolution for all of humanity. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It was at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my sins, uh, they rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the plus mark of eternity. It's the place where the God man hung and bled and died. And every one of us today ought to thank God Almighty that he loved us so much that he provided the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and that God became a man and he died for us because he loves us and he wants us to be saved and he wants our sins to be washed away and he wants our sins to be remitted by the blood of the lamb. His body was hanging there upon the cross, the person of almighty God manifest in the flesh, the wonder of it all, the wonder that God came, that Emmanuel, God, none other than God with us. The words that he spoke on the cross were not words of condemnation. They were not words of damnation. They were words of forgiveness. They were words like, son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. The last moments of his life, he's caring about his mother. He's saying words like, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's crying out words like, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows what it's like to feel the terrible weight of sin upon his life as the sins of the world are carried upon his shoulders. He speaks the words, it is finished, and cries out, and the Bible says, and he died. A cold, lifeless body, holes in his hands, holes in his feet, a spear pierced into his side, holes in his brow from the crown of thorns, dried, crusty blood, and the lifeless body of our Lord, they wrapped in linens. They wrapped him in spices to counteract the naturally smelly progression of decomposition and death. They carried his lifeless body to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and they gently laid that lifeless body into the tomb. And at that moment, folks, it was over.
The triumph that hell must have felt on that day in the nether regions, the demons were gleeful. Sin had triumphed. Hate rules. Hell celebrates. Death reigns. It's a mortal besieging reign. Death. Creepy and dark. Death. Anybody looking forward to death? I didn't think so. Foreboding. Hopeless and helpless. It's a scary place. We don't normally do picnics in graveyards. It's not the kind of place that you want to be. Tombstones, worms, stench. The place of of no return. And some, I would say here this morning, this is where they live. We are living in a world today of hopeless people that feel as though they have no future. In the tombs, captivated minds. I look at our society and I don't want to scream at the darkness today, but the fact of the matter is the world is not getting better that we live in. We live in a world, and I just read the statistics, don't want to bore you with it, but it shocked me and captivated me that Itasca County in the state of Minnesota a number of years ago was first, but now it's second in the number of successful suicides in all of Minnesota. Number two county in Minnesota for successful suicides. What does that tell you? That tells you that there's a whole lot of hopeless people that are in our world right now. There's a lot of people that are living in the tombs. There's a lot of people that are living in darkness. There's a lot of people that have been in prison, captivated and shackled by their addictions. They they are hopeless in their divorce. They are looking around saying, is there any hope for me? Living in the tombs. Life is hopeless. Might as well end my life. We are living in a world church that is filled with trauma. A world that is living with anxiety. A world that is living with regret. A world that is living in the darkness of death. A world that is smelling the stench of death. And lives that have no hope. But can I say on this Easter Sunday morning that in the middle of death there is still the hope for life. Can I say on this Sunday morning that in a place of suicide, there's a place better than death, that there is a place of life, and there is a place of hope, and there is a place of resurrection, and I don't care where you've been and what you've done, there's a God that didn't just stay in that tomb, but he rose again on the third day. Oh, hallelujah. Shafts of crimson light from the eastern sky broke forth. Easter Sunday morning came. A new morning has come, and the night has left. I read somewhere, my Bible tells me, that weeping may endure for a night. I know some people in the darkness of their night, they weep the night away, saying, is my pain ever going to end? Is my depression ever going to leave? Is my body ever going to be healed? Is things ever going to be right and in my heart and in my mind? I know people in their darkness that are wondering, is it ever going to be right? But I want to remind somebody on this Easter Sunday morning that he got up. (laughs) Praise God. Into that dull, dead, lifeless tomb there was a stir. There was a blowing. There was a breath. There was warmth. There was inhalation and exhalation. And the blood began to flow in that cold corpse. The heart begins to stutter out a beat. 
circulation begins again. Lungs that hadn't moved in three days, filled with air. They let out air. Eyelids began to flutter. The second atom begins to stir. <laughs> I think in his mind somewhere he said, I'm back. Amen. The spirit of almighty God went back into that cold corpse on that stone cold slab. And life went back into that mortal body. And Jesus rose uh, from the dead. Oh, hallelujah. I want to preach on this Sunday morning. I'm thankful that Christ died according to the scriptures. I'm thankful that Jesus was buried in the tomb. But I also want you to know on this Easter Sunday morning that he didn't just die, that he wasn't just buried, but that Jesus rose again from the dead. The death that had held him could hold him no more. The death that had captivated him and by the way, all of humanity up until that moment in time, uh, other than singular momentary lapses, uh, death that had held the human race, uh, held him in the grave. Uh, but on that day, my lovely Lord came out of the grave uh, with resurrection power, the first fruits of them that slept, uh, the firstborn from the dead, uh, declaring uh, that from this moment forward, uh, death will have no more victory over you oh praise God he rose again from the dead as you read through the gospel accounts over and over and over again I love this and I went through them again this morning you have a number of people that go to that tomb and when they go to that tomb they're going there to visit their Lord that had just died three days before but when they showed up at the tomb there'd been the sound of a great big thunder out of the sky and that 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 stone that was in front of that grave cave had been moved out of the way one account says that one of the women that came up upon that scene saw an angel perched upon that gravestone just kind of hanging out saying hey how you doing other places they came into that tomb and the tomb was empty and all they saw was the grave clothes there in, in some of those, you know, I guess, I don't know, I guess they were unbelievable women, but some of those women came back to the disciples and told the disciples about it, and the Bible says they didn't believe them. So they had to go and see for themselves, and there goes Peter and John, and they run to the tomb, and John hangs out at the tomb for a moment, and Peter walks in, and, and uh, certainly he's, he's not here. The reason he's not here is that he rose again from the dead. And I will say this this morning, we do not just serve a crucified Christ. Now we got a cross out front, and I would say the majority of Christian churches, duly so, have crosses in their churches, but I want you to know today that there's more to the church than just the cross. You've got to move beyond just the cross. Thank God that there is a death of Christ. But I also want you to know that our God did not stay in that tomb, but he rose again from the dead, triumphant over death and hell forevermore. Oh, praise God. 
The Bible talks about a people who through all their lifetimes were subject to bondage because of fear of death. How many people live life in trepidation of death, afraid of that day coming? I, I get it. I mean, we've never done it. We've never experienced it. It is, it is a little scary. But can I tell you this morning that the sting of death is gone because Jesus rose from the dead. And if you walk with Jesus and you've obeyed the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and if you've obeyed the gospel. You know how you obey the gospel? If Jesus did it, you have to do it. Come on, can I preach an old-fashioned sermon on this Sunday morning? If Jesus did it, you got to do it. You got to obey the gospel of Christ. Well, how do I obey the gospel of Christ? Well, the gospel says that he died, right? If he died, that means that you got to die. I got good news and I got bad news. Amen. The bad news is you got to die. That means the old you has got to be done away with. The old sinner you. The old you that used to smoke and token, token dope and mess around. And the you that was a sinner. The one that swore and messed around was a thief and a fornicator and all that. That guy, that gal has got to die. Oh yeah, isn't that right, Andrew Robine? Amen. Andrew Robine is, is clean from prescription medications. I think it's been a year now. I saw his testimony on Facebook. 12 months, no prescription medications. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to be saved, you got to die. You're not, oh, Jesus, help me. You're not going to heaven with prescription medication addiction tagging along with you. You got to die. You're not going to heaven fornicating. <laughs> Trying to be nice. I'm telling the truth here. You've got to die. If Jesus died, you've got to die. If G, and there's a number of ways that you can do that. You can go out into Highway 2, and there's a number of 18-wheeler semi-trucks that'll be cruising down the road, Corey. And you, it, Jesus died, you got to die. You can step into one of the, in front of one of those 18-wheelers. I don't recommend it. There's a lot of ways to die, but I tell you, the greatest way to die in the scripture, Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. It's hard, but it's easy. I can bow my knees at an altar and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the mess I've made in my life. Come on, somebody. I'm sorry of the bad decisions I've made. I'm sorry of my disobedience. I'm sorry of what I've done in my life. Jesus, I need your blood. I need your death to be applied to my life and Lord I'm sorry for my sins forgive me of my sins and let me tell you what God's so good that he'll hear your prayer undeservedly he'll wash away your sins the Bible says he died and he was buried if he was buried you know what that means I got to obey the gospel I got to be buried I got to be buried well there's a number of ways you can do that We've got maintenance crew around here. I think we've got some shovels. We can go out in the back here. I think maybe there's enough snow that's been melted away. Maybe not on a frost in the ground that we can dig a hole in the ground. And we can put you in that hole in the ground and we can bury you. That doesn't sound too attractive, does it? I tell you what, I got a better way than that. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And Peter stood up on that wonderful day of Pentecost uh, and he said, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Anybody know what that name is? That name is Jesus. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. Oh, hallelujah. And it's been a while since those waters have been troubled. They were troubled in January pretty strongly, but we're in April, and I think it's time for somebody to wake up and say, today is my day. I'm going to give my life to God. I want to be saved. I want to be buried in the name of Jesus. You're buried in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And the Bible says he was buried and he rose again the third day. Do you know that you can rise from the dead just like Jesus rose from the dead? I'm not preaching to you some outdated old gospel. I'm not preaching a gospel that has an expiration date on it. I'm not going to look at that Bible and tell you that what happened to them can't happen to you. I've come to tell you that what happened in that Bible to them can happen to you, and it can happen to you on this Sunday morning. And they read it in their skit this morning. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. That's the birthday of the New Testament church. And if God did that for them... God does that for us and he'll do it for you. What are you saying? If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can have the Holy Ghost on an Easter Sunday morning right here, right now at River of Life Church because God still does what he's always done. Oh, put your hands together and magnify the Lord. Praise God, praise God. Praise God. And Easter Sunday morning, Everything changed. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And yes, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Oh, praise God. Because he lives, there is hope this morning. I haven't come to beat you up today. I haven't come to tell you all the things that are wrong in your life. What I've come to do this Easter Sunday morning is tell you about everything that's right with Jesus. I've come to tell you about everything that's right about him. He died. He buried. He, he was rose again. He rose again from the dead. There's hope today. There is hope today. As a matter of fact, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. I want you to know today there is an eternal hope in Jesus. Jesus Christ. There's a hope because of the resurrection. There's a hope because he conquered death and hell. And on this Easter Sunday morning, everything has changed because he lives. Oh, praise God. And that is what is wonderfully biblically referred to as the gospel. 
And I read you this morning that there's more. And normally when we talk about the gospel, we say, Paul, we say Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. And we stop right there. I want to say this morning, though, it's not just Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and then it's 6 through 8. Are you ready? The Bible says, and he was seen. Oh, I'm going to have some fun this morning. There's been a sighting. He's been seen. And this was no Elvis sighting. People are still seeing Elvis. The guy's been dead by life for I don't know how many years. 40, 50 years. People are still seeing him. This was no Elvis sighting. And it was like just a couple of, couple of weeks ago. The northern lights. I mean, like vampires, people are running out in their cars, man. Driving all around town, cars are screeching to the right and to the left, eyes are to the skies, flash bulbs are going off. There's been a sighting, northern lights, first time in my lifetime. Taking pictures. I've seen some of them, they're pretty amazing. Seen. I don't know how many people just a couple months ago, I don't know if they have binoculars out. They're looking for Chinese balloons floating through the sky. There's a Chinese balloon floating over North Dakota, floating to the East Coast. Can I tell you this morning, this was no mystical, fantastical sighting. The Bible says, and he was seen. My God, I feel like preaching this this morning. And he was seen. Four times in four verses. And I want to very carefully, maybe as I'm speaking to apostolics this morning, make sure that we put this into our gospel narrative very importantly. He died, he was buried, he rose again, but it doesn't just end right there. And he was seen. I want you to know this morning that the resurrection is rooted in reality. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. And some of you, the questions may show up in your mind. You say, well, how do we know that was true? How do we, do we really know? I mean, we're reading a book. It happened 2,000 years ago. How do we know? They said it happened. How do we know? The way that we know that he died and he was buried, but also that he resurrected from the dead, is the Bible is very clear in four verses, four instances. And he was seen. There were people that literally saw the resurrected Jesus. And somebody said amen. amen. Now watch this with me as we walk through verse number five. It says, and that he was seen of, somebody say Cephas. Cephas. Remember who Cephas was, right? Cephas was Peter. Remember Peter? Remember old Peter? A few days before, Lord, no matter what they do, I'll never leave you, Lord. And what they do, I'll be with you even unto death, Jesus. I'll be with you. I'll be your friend until the end. Until the end came. And then by the fire, the Bible says that he denied him thrice. I mean, the worst part about it is Jesus told him it was going to happen. 
Jesus told him, before the, the cock shall, shall crow three times, you're going to deny me three times. And he heard the first sound and the second sound. And yet, still in the midst of all that, he failed his Lord. In the moment when his Lord needed him the most, he was there warming his hands by the fire. And yet he denies him again. I don't know what was going through the mind of Peter. Maybe the idea, well, I'll just go back, you know. I, I, I kind of risked it all. I gave years of my life to him, but I saw him hang on that cross and die. It's all over with. It's all complete. It's all kaput. It's all finished. And yet, amazingly, the, the first, it says in this verse, and that he was seen of Cephas. Can I tell you this morning? that Jesus doesn't easily give up on people. People give up on people. Oh yeah, people give up on people. Let me tell you something else. People not only give up on people, people give up on themselves. I know a lot of people that check out. They say, well, I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard testimony. They, people don't want to they say, I can't come to church. If I came to church, you know, the, the, the ceiling would fall in upon my head. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've gone. You don't know the kind of life that I've lived. And you know what? I know people that give up on themselves. Here was none other than the man that had the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And God said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I shall build my church. But in the moment, in the moment he should have been true, he was weak. In the moment he should have stood by his Lord, he didn't. But you know what? In spite of that, my Bible tells me that he was seen of Cephas. I'm so thankful today that Jesus shows up in people's lives that sometimes don't deserve it sometimes Jesus shows up in the lives of people they just don't deserve it they don't deserve Jesus show up in their life and that's the truth of the matter people give up on people people give up on themselves are you kidding me you went to Peter that no good scoundrel that dirtbag you must be kidding me you honestly you went to him of all why didn't you go to the religious people because Jesus didn't give up on Peter and I'm so thankful this morning that Jesus doesn't give up on us you didn't get that through your head this morning who's the guy that preaches on the day of Pentecost none other than Peter said unto them. Did you get it? The guy that made a mess of himself and his life and was cursing and all that. But he was seen of Peter. Because Jesus showed up in his life. The Bible says he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve, the beloved disciples. I want you to realize something here this morning. It's very, very important. Of those disciples... Of those disciples, 11 of the 12, you know how they died? They died terrible deaths. You know, some people don't have the ability to wake their sorry corpse up on a Sunday morning, get out of bed and go to church. You know, it's just, would you be willing if your life was at stake, would you lay down your life for the Lord? Does it mean that much to us? Do we realize that our only hope of eternity is tied into that? And I'm willing to lay everything upon that wonderful resurrection of Christ. My life is dependent on him. And those 11 of the 12 disciples died grisly deaths. 
hated, tortured, murdered. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded by King Herod. Andrew was tied to a cross shaped like an ax. Philip was hung in Turkey. Thomas was killed with a spear. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and clubbed to death. Thaddeus was shot with arrows. Simon was crucified. The apostles, excepting John, all died terrible martyrs' deaths. Do you have any reason how in the world, how in the world would you be willing to lay down your life? All you would have to do is encant and say, well, I, I, I never knew him. All you would have to do is say, I didn't know Jesus. All you would have to do is say, this is one big fat farce. That's all you would have to say. All you would have to do is just say, I, I didn't believe in him. But these people did not do that, and they went to their deaths. Do you know why they went to their deaths? They went to their deaths because and he was seen of the 12. I'm telling you this morning, you can see something in your life that is so convincing that you are absolutely willing to lay your life down upon it. You are willing to go through pain. You're willing to go through degradation. You are willing to give up your life because what you have seen is so real that you have been convinced by all Mighty God, a proof positive, and he was seen of the 12. The Bible says he was seen, this is really great in the Bible, of an unnamed 500 people. Come on, Christian folks. You got something to lay your life on. 500, and Paul, when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, and many of them are alive right now. That walking the earth while Paul was preaching were people that had literally saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. They had seen him. Many believed because he prophesied and told them, I'm going before you in Ga into Galilee, a mountain in Galilee. It could have been in the 28th chapter of Matthew. We don't know exactly when it was. But there was a moment of time where there were 500 people. I mean, this church would seat, I think, if every chair was full this morning, about maybe 300 people. If you can imagine every single chair full, more chairs, Dave, out in the aisle, full. 500 people at one time. Oh, hallelujah, saw Jesus Christ, but he wasn't hanging on a cross. He was alive with resurrection life, and 500 people saw him at one time, and he was seen. Oh, praise God. I'm going to pass by the next guy, and we'll come back to him. James, we'll go back to James. And the last one on the list, the Bible says, and he was seen of Saul of Tarsus. Whoa. Saul of Tarsus. He was a bad dude. He hated Christians. This is why we better really be careful as the Christian church that we never write anybody off. I get it. I get it. Here's the persecutor of the church. Here's the one that's greatly feared by the church. Here's the one that goes around hailing men and women and putting them into prison. And children don't have fathers and children don't have mothers. And people are walking around crippled in life. Amen. Because of this guy named Saul of Tarsus. But the Bible says something happened to him. 
Oh, God, help me to preach this here today. Because what I'm trying to preach to this church here today, that we are not believing and we are not living some fairy tale. That there are moments in time that Almighty God himself shows himself to people. That Almighty God himself bears witness to his reality, bears witness to his truth. And he does not expect us to live our lives without any kind of witness. And I would say here on this Sunday morning that there are people that are born again and living for God because something happened to you because God did something in your life that was so validated so true that what you saw and he was seen that what you saw so convinced you that you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is real that Jesus is risen that Jesus is God that there is none other beside Jesus. I saw him. And I will never be the same. Oh, put your hands together. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not here preaching some religion to you. I'm not even preaching Pentecost. I'm not preaching your, your, uh, you know, your brand of religion or denominationalism. What I'm telling you here today is that there is a God that will show himself to people. There is a God that'll come walking in your life and you may say, well, man, I knew about him. I knew he was real. I believed in God, but I never had an experience with God these people and he was seen I want you to know that God will show himself to you I saw him and because I saw him you can't unconvince me because I saw with my own eyes what I experienced in my life personally. You can't tell me otherwise. You can try to mess with my head. You can mock me. You can disparage me. You can say whatever you want. But what I have personally experienced in my own life, I cannot unsee what I have seen. It was too late. And he was seen. I'm telling you this morning, you cannot stop people that have had an experience with Jesus. This church that I'm talking about, it's going to outlive the Roman Empire. Come on, somebody. This church that I'm talking about, it's going to conquer the Germanic hordes. Come on, so this church that I'm talking about, this gospel is going to invade Greece. This gospel that I'm preaching about, it'll work in Bangladesh. Come on, somebody. It'll work in Minneapolis. It'll work in a little northern town called Grand Rapids. I'm talking about the gospel. And he was seen. I'm not preaching a religion to you today. I'm preaching a God man. His name's Jesus. And he will show himself to you. If you've never experienced him, I want you to know you can experience him. And when you experience him, 
you will never be the same. I've been through a lot of things in my walk with God that I'm going to tell you what, if it was not for the Lord, I wouldn't be standing in this pulpit here today. There's no doubt in my mind. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't for what I knew, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd have got a knocked out of this race a long time ago. But let me tell you what I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. What I know is I have experienced him. And he was seen. Final character I'll bring to you. The Bible says, so amazing. The Bible says, and he was seen of James. James. Not the son of Zebedee. Not the son of Alphaeus. And he was seen of James. None other than the half-brother of Jesus Christ. A half-brother. The New Testament is very clear in John 7. It tells us very clearly that his brethren did not believe in him. His brethren did not believe in him. His brethren did not believe in him. Why did they not believe in him? He was too familiar. That's my, that's my big brother there. Are you kidding me? Some of you that got big brothers, you know what I'm talking about. Are you kidding me? Messiah? I don't think so. I mean, my big brother, I sat at the dinner table with him. Are you kidding me? I worked in the carpenter shop with him. Are you kidding? I mean, really? He's Messiah, long anticipated, awaited Messiah. Surely you jest. I don't believe. I've known him my whole life. I'm his younger brother. Oh, God. There's a saying that says this, familiarity breeds contempt. It's possible to be around Jesus so long. I've walked with him. You know, I've, 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 I know all about Jesus. The mundane mechanics of religion. I've been around things of God. Yeah, I, I know all about that. Not him. I, I, I knew him. I want to say this morning, just a gentle warning here today, that we need to beware of churchianity that supplants Christianity. I'll say it again, churchianity. Oh, I've been to church. I've been to church. Yeah, I've been to a lot of church. I've been to a lot of church. Oh, yeah, I know. Because sometimes the ones that know him the most at times love him the least. James, James, James. I know him. I've been around him my whole life. Yeah, it's no. I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. He may have seen him die on Calvary, may have witnessed the event, certainly knew that it happened, probably heartbroken. It was his brother, none other than his brother. He's probably heartbroken by that fact. Oh, God. But can I tell you, there was something that changed the unbelieving brother into the believing brother that didn't just look at him as just the Jesus I grew up with. Because my Bible tells me, importantly, and he was seen of James. 
He showed up in his unbelieving brother's life. I'm so thankful to God. <laughs> you don't know where I'm going. That God has patience for knotheads like you and me. I know people that are hanging around church a long, long time. They know all about church. Yeah, I've been to church. Yeah, I know church. Yeah, family goes to church. Yeah, I know all about church. And yet they don't live for Jesus. God help me. Familiarity. I know about Jesus. Yeah, I know the story. I went to Sunday school. I went there. Yeah, I know all about this. I know all about that. And he was seen of James. Can I say this, that God will even show up in the lives of somebody maybe that's been raised around church their whole life. They've been around the things of God their whole life. They've trafficked in spiritual things. They know the stories. They know the Old Testament stories. They knew the New Testament stories. But can I say this, that Jesus is so good in his mercy and his patience that he'll even show up in people's lives that have been familiar around him. I believe he'll give everybody a chance that like James, you can say, but I saw him. Something happened one day that turned me around. Oh, the mercy that God has for the backslider. The mercy that God has for the person that once tasted of the powers of the world to come. The mercy that God has for even those that have trafficked around him and been around him and frequented the places he's been. But I am so thankful today that there is an experience that a person can have with God that can turn you around and even though Oh, you've been around for a long time. There's an experience with Jesus that can make unbelievers believers. Jesus. Oh, to see Jesus in all of his glory. And I'll tell you, when you see him, when you experience him, you will never be the same again. James 1 and 1. This James pens the book of James. The book of James is written by the half-brother of our Lord. And it says in James 1 and 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, you get it? He's like, he's not, he's not my brother. He's not my brother. He's not my half-brother anymore that I just grew up with. He is my Lord. That's quite a transition to go from him being the unbelieving brother to all of a sudden he looks. Do you know why? And he was seen. What I'm saying here today is that there is an experience to be had with God that is so real. I'm not saying that he guarantees us thousands of those because he doesn't. I absolutely believe in my guts that every person is going to have the chance in some measure that God in his mercy will show himself to them. 
Please stand with me this morning if you're able. Matthew 28, this is powerful. Verse 5, the angel answered, Son of the women, fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then he says this, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. There shall you see him. Two things on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Number one, Jesus is risen. Thank God today. Jesus is risen. The second thing he said is you shall see him. You can run, but you can't hide. Your days are numbered. Because seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. And he was seen of Jeremy Dravlin. And he was seen of DeAndre Hager. And he was seen of Bob Olson. Come on, church. And he was seen of Laura Peterson. And he was seen of Andrew Hadia. And he was seen of Delila. I'm telling you what, God is so good that you can have an experience with God that will leave you forever and ever changed. Oh, praise God. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Can we reach out to him this morning in Jesus' name?